0: really all of Baha'i teachings in a sense are about encouraging the purification and spiritualization of self in order to achieve and attain divine characters and spiritual attributes Mm. so in that sense you can say the practice of the Baha'i faith as a whole is in fact a mystic practice yeah we are
1: totally limited in our ability to describe God And I think as you travel the world and you go through different communities and peoples, they may have described God differently, but I think when you listen and you connect, it's the same God, it's the same God.
2: So communication
3: here. Um, yes. I'm not Okay. So Shiree, yeah. could you please tell us a bit about the history and the general development of the Bahá'í Faith, so that for those that are listening, we can know what on earth we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes. Sure.
2: Okay.
1: So. I think before I start, I'd like to just point out that uh, the in- information about the Baha'i Faith is readily available online, and so I'd like to inc- encourage people to read up about it if they're interested, you know? What I'm giving is really a slip right? What I can do justice to right now. So the Baha'i Faith is a world religion, an independent world religion, um, that we say birthed, started in Persia, which is currently Iran in 1844 a by a messenger of god or a prophet that we call the Bab. his name it means the gate in arabic he announced himself and he said that he was preparing the way for another messenger a greater messenger the promised one of all ages the qaim if i'm saying it correctly he taught that each person has an individual soul and can know god He taught that uh, prayer is connection to God. He connected people to each other through service and taught that humankind is one. And he was preparing them, the major focus of his revelation was to prepare them for the coming of Baha'u'llah. Baha'u'llah at the time became one of his followers, accepted the teachings of the Ba'ah. At that time, as you can imagine, teachings such as Um, An individual's ability to connect with and to know God and understand religion uh, in the absence of clergy, the equality of women and men, um, women's rightful place in society, education for all, the unification of the human race. These were very attractive principles to many people connected with the hearts and with their minds, with their wishes for their future. A lot of people embraced the faith and began living their lives differently and uh, working toward unity. Um, But as you can also imagine at the time, religious and secular or civil authorities were not as enthusiastic about the nature of these teachings and what it might imply they believed for their um, place, I suppose, in, in society and in life. The Bab and many of his followers were imprisoned, tortured, the Bab himself was executed in a public square in Tabriz in 1850. Baha'u'llah, along with the other followers, was also imprisoned and tortured. Um, the Babis, the followers of the Bab, were persecuted continually um, as they continued to embrace the teachings and so on. <coughs> While in prison, Baha'u'llah, at that time a follower of the Bab, uh, was visited. He had a revelation, called her the Maid of Heaven came to him and taught him things that he had not known. Everything he said, he came to know. Um, And he came to know in this dark, deep dungeon prison that he was the promised one foretold by the bomb. Time passes, uh, the persecution does not stop. And he is exiled, along with a group of believers and his family, children, women, along with him were exiled. His exile continued banishment to banishment to banishment throughout the Ottoman Empire. Baghdad, Constantinople, Adrianople, eventually, Acre was his final destination, which was a perpetual uh, imprisonment to the prison city of Acre. Uh, In those years, he declared himself as the promised one and announced to the world in a way that he was the promised one. And so began the Baha'i faith, the Baha'i cycle. And um, he continued and added to the teachings of the Baal and wrote many, many volumes of these teachings, including prayers and treatises. As Barber mentioned, he addressed kings and rulers. He wrote to religious leaders. He wrote to people. He answered questions. And the central, central teachings of the faith, the Baha'i faith, are unity that there is one God, regardless of what you call him, he is the creator, the source of life, that he has sent religion as a way of connecting humankind to God and allowing us to go on this spiritual journey and as individuals, but also in the collective. And that the way he sends this religion is through these manifestations of God. So from that, we have this unity of religion. This is a central principle of the Baha'i faith. We believe in all of the messengers of God that have gone before the and Pah. Um, and then the unification of mankind, the unity of mankind.
4: Mm -hmm. From that come
1: certain principles as well. Universal education, quality of women and men, harmony of science and religion, um, prayer, service, and so on. So where are we now? We've arrived in Akka with Baha'u'llah. He passed away here. Before he passed away though, he set the spot for the shrine of the Ba'u'llah. And in his coming, this became the spiritual center as well as the administrative center of the Baha'i world. The Baha'i community continued to grow as the teachings were embraced by more and more in every country of the world right now. Um, he passed away here in Israel, in, well, in Akka, at a place called Bashi. Right now that's where the shrine of Baha'u'llah is and it's a holy place for Baha'i. Mm-hmm. It's a place of pilgrimage. His son, Abdu'l-Bahá, became the head of the faith after that and continued to share these teachings with the world and to unite the followers of the religion. That was his role as the head of the faith, really, to continue sharing these teachings, but also to find a way for, as we learn about them in Australia and Iran and Namibia and Zambia and Costa Rica, that we find a way of still ingathering and coming together so we remain united. some time later, the Baha'i world is now governed by the Universal House of Justice, whose seat is here in Haifa.
3: I'm curious to know, you talk about a lot of challenges that religion faced from the outside: persecution and exile and torture and execution, horrible things. I'm curious to know though more on an internal level. The it sounds to me like the aspirations of the Baha'i faith are really things that everyone can get behind. They're universal principles that everyone with a basic sense of decency should believe in. What are the, do you think, the internal challenges within us humans that stop us from coming to realize those visions that the Báb and Baha'u'llah shared?
1: Well, Baha'u'llah explains that every soul is on this journey and that along this journey, there will be tests. This is one aspect, that we will be tested. And tests can come in different forms, right? Some are our own tests, our own qualities, perhaps, or our own perceptions um, that keep us from the truth. Others, as you mentioned, are externally imposed upon us. But in this
2: journey, in this
1: process of trying to overcome our tests, we suffer. Mm -hmm. That's one aspect.
0: I think another thing that Baha'u'llah
1: talks about is sacrifice that there is something about sacrifice in this spiritual journey, this idea of giving something up in order to get something greater. I think one of the most interesting examples of sacrifice, yes, we see in this world is, is this birthing, mm-hmm. right? As a mother gives birth, she sacrifices even during pregnancy a lot. It seems, right. It's, it could be uncomfortable or painful and it may Changers. seem, <laughs> yes, it may seem like she's giving something up. Um, But in essence, she's doing that in order to receive, in order to get something more. Um, In the process, you know, Baha'u'llah describes us as having this rational soul that is capable of eternal, eternal progress as we grow toward God. Um, But that it is not like on and off or light and dark. It is a continuum.
0: And so as we are learning
1: justice and we are getting tested and we are sacrificing and we are striving, we're on this process of continual growth. But it is also as a result of our will. Yes, human beings have a will. So in this journey, you have God's grace, you have God's mercy, you have life and others that can assist you. But in this journey, as you progress, it is your will. And often I think that is our strongest. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to say opponent, but that is who we have to best.
3: Our, our boxing partner. Our yeah. own
1: self, yes, yes.
3: Okay. I'm, you know, actually, this is a question which I have for way later, but I actually want to just start with it, which is prayer in the Baha'i faith, right? Sometimes when people begin something, they start with the in initiation of prayer. Is there, is there a prayer, is there a formal, verbal prayer? What does prayer look like for a Baha'i?
1: So, prayer is an integral part of Baha'i life. Um, and we pray individually, we also pray as communities. Prayers were revealed by the Bab, by Bahá'u'lláh, and by Abdul Abdullah. And so in our prayers, we would read or recite these prayers. Uh, there's no necessarily congregational prayer, and as we'll talk and you'll find out there's no clergy in the baha'i so no one leads in the prayer Mm -hmm. Um, prayer has been described by Bahá'u'lláh as conversation with god it has been described as the sweetest gift you can give someone right to pray for them Mm -hmm. Um, we pray to god as i mentioned through these revealed prayers and we pray in the shrines this is one of the main reasons we come to the shrines is to go and pray We also have devotional gatherings in communities around the world where there is a Baha'i community. They will more than likely be hosting devotional gatherings that are open to all uh, to come and pray. We have prayers for praise and thanksgiving, prayers for detachment, healing, children, you name it, unity. Um, And then another feature of prayer in our communities is wherever there is a house of worship. So in Australia, in Sydney, there is a house of worship and that is a point of gathering for prayer. Mm. Um, do you have anything specific Do did,
3: did you feel like that would be an appropriate prayer to share for beginning this conversation? Is that, is, that some, is that something that one could do?
2: We could start with a prayer, yes.
3: Would you like to share a prayer?
1: O my God, O my God, unite the hearts of thy servants and reveal unto them thy great purpose.
0: May they follow thy commandments
1: and abide in thy law. Help them, O God, in their endeavors and grant them strength to serve thee. O God, leave them not to themselves, but guide their steps by the light of thy knowledge and cheer their hearts by thy love.
4: Verily, thou
1: art their helper
4: and their Lord.
3: Thank you, that was so beautiful. That was like, I felt like an angelic presence come through with your words. That was really, it's it's so, it's so powerful to set an intention for something, to go in something with a purpose, with a meaning, with an explicit vision for something, Yeah. Right? Because so much of our day, we're just caught up in madness. We never have a chance to center ourselves and to focus.
2: Yeah.
3: Varja and...
2: Shereya. Sharia. Yeah.
3: Vajra and Sharia i going to practice that. <laughs> <This is where laughs> Vajra actually. In. Vargo.
0: Vargo and Shuri. <laughs> is it Sh or Sh?
1: So it's English S H or ch. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: I'm tempted to come up with nicknames for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very good. Story practice of, our this of our life, Varga and Shri. I'm curious to know before of the questions that we asked, with any of them which were particularly interesting or like, like really raised your eyebrows or perked your ears?
0: are right, first? No, not really. I was very happy to actually see some of the questions. I've, I've recently worked and, okay. on a couple of them for, for some
3: papers. So I was actually nice. happy to see them. And, and Sharia, any of them hurt I mean, your attention?
1: We were very interested in your interest in the questions. So if there are any that you'd like, like that for you are most interesting, I would say like ask them maybe first. That's awesome. So we can delve that's into really That's I, I like that turning the <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's the truth. Like okay, we really, awesome. we talked about it and we said, well, what actually would be more interesting yeah. to
3: you? So did either of you get a chance to check out our project Seekers of Unity? Yes. We really, yes. really it, right? <laughs> Yeah, that sort <laughs> it stops me. Nice, so. cool. So I'll tell you briefly what we're, what we're most interested in. Yeah. We're most interested in the history and philosophy of mysticism. Mysticism is a very difficult word to define, and I'll probably actually turn it to you guys to share what you what that word means to you as well. I can see that you have a <laughs> definition waiting to But the way that we use it basically, and you're, you're welcome to share differing meanings of the word, this is a conversation as well, is the unitive experiences, theories, and practices of the world's traditions. So, and it's those three, it's, I mean, it's a scholarly definition which you are brought, but it's unitive experiences where one feels a sense of unity, and that can be expressed differently. between oneself and others, between oneself and God, oneself and nature, the theories that one uses to make sense of it, and the practices of of how one moves themselves into that experience and how one goes living life based on those practices and theories. So, I'm most fascinated by the the theories, by the metaphysics, by the philosophies and theologies that try and create a, a new story, a narrative of unity, right? Because there are so many theologies that are so popular that talk about a God who is like other and separate and far away, which means that we also are going to be separate and far away. But if we can have a unity of theory, a metaphysic that teaches instead of a dualism or a polarity, instead teaches a unity or a, mon- or a sort of mon- monism or a monistic metaphysic, that's really what I'm interested in exploring. And, that, and that's a whole huge can of worms. And where that intersects with philosophy is, is where we get very excited. So there's like a religious component to it, there's a philosophical component to it. That's kind of where we approach this from. But also, we want to come to hear what you have to share. We, we're not coming here to, to like tell people what we think Baha'i as We want to hear from from the, uh, excuse the phrase, but from the horse's mouth itself, <laughs> that's the expression. So, <laughs> so um, is there anything in, in what I just said that, that, uh, that resonates or, or
0: calls to attention? Uh, no, I, I think, think it's, it's a wonderful definition. You've, actually provided as well. So I think we discussed that, I would take this question and I found it to be very, very fascinating. But it's one of those questions, just before you arrive, I was telling somebody that some of these questions are a bit more involved, perhaps, and and there's no simple yes or no answer or, or, you know, just just a few statements. It probably is a concept that needs to be um, built um, on some foundations. So, So we need to, for example, talk about some writings to talk about the Baha'i theology that bears agree, on the question. So
3: why don't we okay. begin with that? Let's start let's okay. start right then. I
0: have some notes as well, which I'm hoping to refer to for some of these <laughs> more <morning laughs> involved, involved So as I
3: guess I guess the question and <laughs> to phrase formally is what relationship do you understand there to be between mysticism and the Baha'i
0: faith? So the short answer I think there is that The Baha'i faith is essentially mystic in character, but uh, very much depends on how you approach mysticism and how you define mysticism. As you said, um, there is not a universal agreement on the definition of mysticism. So by nature, any definition of mysticism should be, would be, stipulative. Um, I think, for the purposes of this conversation, it might be useful to, to also Approach mysticism as a, as a constellation of practices, writings and texts, and discourses and traditions and, and experiences and institutions that together facilitate um, the acquisition of um, divine knowledge, if you may, or or spiritual transformation, mm-hmm. and and allows for the movement or or spiritual journey or a spi- spiritual quest towards the unveiling of truth. Mm. Um, and I think because of this approach or this definition, then it, it will become important to touch on each of these elements. Yes, yes. So, so the Baha'i texts, perhaps that they are on the concept of mysticism or, or the concept of um, mm. institutions mm. Or, or, you know, what high practices that might be, that that may be similar or different uh, from mystic practices. Fantastic. I love, I love the broadness and
3: expansiveness of that definition, because it really is all those things. It's the techniques, it's the communities, it's the texts, it's the practices, all which move towards a shared goal. And having that definition allows us to begin to compare and begin to ask real questions, so thank you for opening up that definition. Of course. But then, because of that,
0: I think that this discussion will be quite long yeah. as well, <laughs> to really address all of those aspects of... Yeah. of I brought situation. my sleep bag, so I can sleep, I can have a nap <laughs> when the sun goes down, in the morning. I'm worried about the batteries <laughs> on <of> your phone. <laughs> <laughs> so where would you like to begin? Um, we could talk about text, maybe, please. So, so. Um, So, as I said, the Baha'i Faith is uh, fundamentally mystic in character. One aspect of it is uh, the writings of the Prophet, founder of the Baha'i Faith, Baha'u'llah. Between the years 1854 to 1856, um, Baha'u'llah withdrew to the mountains of Kurdistan uh, for two years and he lived a life of seclusion and and solitude and reflection that is reminiscent of, um, of um, you know, Moses' experience um, of, of his withdrawal to Mount Sinai similar to the 40 days and nights uh, of Jesus' uh, uh, seclusion uh, in the desert and, and also Muhammad's uh, period of withdrawal to, to the cave in, in Mount Herat. During this period, uh, (coughs) Bahá'u'lláh lived among uh, mystics of various orders Um, and he, um, with his divine knowledge, elucidated some of the most difficult and most abstruse questions that those mystics had. For example, he um, talked about um, some difficult questions that they had um, about um, uh, Ibn Arabi's Al-Futuhat al um, and that um, really left a great impression upon those those mystics um, at their request he also wrote um, a, a poem along the same meter and length and style of, of Ibn Farid's um, um, Al-Qasidah al uh, so because of that uh, they developed great reverence towards Bahá'u'lláh. During that period and a bit and after, the, so in, among his early writings, you can see many uh, mystical texts and they include, for example, the hidden words, the Four Valleys, Gems of Divine Mysteries, these are the titles of some of his, his works, um, Ode of the Dove, for example. Um, Clouds from Realms Above, The Seven Valleys, The Book of Certitude, The Tablet of All Food. There are many of his works and this is just really a few of some of his early works that are uh, mystical in in character and in those works he touched on uh, many mystical concepts like the presence of God, um, union with God, the features and characteristics of the different Stages of, of mystic quest and the, and, and, and the spiritual quest. Uh, the, the requisite characters of, of each step. Um, he talked about this arc of descent and arc of ascent, for example. Mm. He, he talked about um, the concept of manifestation versus emanation. So many concepts mm. that, that are essential mm. in, in mysticism. But what's important, I think, to note is that these writings are like any other text, are, are highly contextual. Mm-hmm. So he revealed them just as sometimes in some of his later writings, he speaks in the voice of a lawgiver. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he has revealed poems and he speaks as a poet. Sometimes he addresses specialists in a field. For example, he addresses uh, religious clerics or he addresses politicians. These mystic writings are also revealed in response to specific questions from specific individuals in a certain time, so they are not devoid of, of that context. Uh, because of that, they are not meant, I would say, um, as universal exhortations to prescribe a concrete, uh, you know, mystical practice, and mm. um, I think that's quite important to, to frame it in the right Interesting. context could you then that's really fantastic that was really that was really brilliant
3: could you I'm really interested in contextualizing the mystical traditions of the world both understanding them in their universality and understanding their particularity right because there's a foundation of unity to establish and on that foundation of unity we can then ask questions of of particularity and diversity and beauty within that unity so I would love if you could contextualize the teachings of Baha'u'llah within the context of the mystical traditions that he's coming and speaking to and interacting with, a bit of historical and theological contextualization would be, would be great.
0: Sure. I think naturally in that process I could draw on some of the practices Fantastic. that, that are, um, are conventionally known or have conventionally defined mysticism Please. and also experiences that, that are you know, perhaps promulgated in the Baha'i writings and, and so on. Uh, so I, I could say that, as I just explained, these mystical writings of Baha'u'llah are not meant to be universal prescriptions of mystical practice because they're highly contextualized and they're in response to, to certain individuals at a, at a given time. But this does not mean that, that there is no um, mystic practice in the Baha'i faith. In fact, in one sense the whole practice of the Baha'i faith could be defined as a mystical practice Um, and that is because the ultimate objective of the Baha'i faith is to enable and facilitate that individual and social collective spiritual um, transformation. It is to allow And indeed, it encourages the journey of the soul towards discovery and unveiling of truth. Mm -hmm. Um, And really, all of Baha'i teachings, in a sense, are about uh, encouraging the purification and spiritualization of self in order to achieve um, and, and attain divine characters and and, and spiritual attributes. Mm. So in that sense we can say the practice of the Baha'i faith as a whole is in fact a mystic practice. Um, so th- there might be then some point of difference uh, between conventional mystic traditions and um, some of them um, in which the practice of mysticism is perhaps limited sometimes mm. to um, to sometimes an inner circle, mm. who know, who are in the know, who um, who have access to that esoteric knowledge. Yes. Um, sometimes um, th- there are institutions, and in some some mystic orders, those institutions that regulate perhaps mysticism are highly, highly hierarchical. Mm. Um, in the Baha'i faith there are no hierarchies or institutions that regulate practice of mysticism in fact because the practice of the baha'i faith itself can be described to be a mystic practice it's for everyone Mm -hmm. so everyone is welcome everyone is encouraged everyone is expected Mm -hmm. to practice the the teachings and the laws of the baha'i faith there are also i think in in some uh, mystic orders and traditions, you can see that there is a a heavy reliance on monasticism, for example, um, or on um, seclusion, Mm -hmm. um, on practices that can be defined as deprivation or mortifications or or asceticism. Mm -hmm. In the Baha'i faith, we don't have these kind of practices. Um, In fact, Baha'is in in their mystic journey or spiritual journey are encouraged to associate mm. with the community, with the society and through service to society, through the practice of unity and their active labor in, the, in, in bringing about universal peace and unity of mankind. Uh, it is in that process that they uh, purify their soul, mm. if you may, or, or unveil the truth. or or experience um, the the spiritual feelings. Mm. So there is also that element of um, conventional defined practices that that were there um, and some of the teachings that Baha'u'llah has has brought to to, to emphasize. So so the emphasis of the practice to some extent has changed Mm. in the writings of Mm. Baha'u'llah. It's really fascinating. I
3: feel like we've, we've dived right headfirst into the topic here. Actually, I think there's a good segue here to connect both of the streams of conversation which we're having, which is that the journey of the human towards perfection, towards unity, towards manifesting the divine characteristics, right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that there's a way which humans can move towards this perfection of being, which perhaps is embodied by the prophets and the messengers, which is a reflection of the divine, but perhaps in some sense they become, and this may be a very mystical thing, they become more than just representations of the divine, but actually manifestations of the divine. Is that, is that something that's, that's in the high faith? I'd like to hear from both of you on this, actually, because I feel like it's a, it's something that we're both converging on.
0: Yes, this is perhaps another involved topic, <laughs> I think, because it, it draws on our understanding of God's revelation perhaps and the role of manifestations. Um, would you like to talk to it first or would you like me to talk
1: to you? Go ahead, uh, you wanna start? Or I you can't. Uh, no, you start, go yeah.
3: ahead. Do you know, I wanna I wanna play a game at one point. We'll put one of you out of the room. <laughs> we'll get the answer from one, then we'll bring the other we'll like be identical. Wow, <laughs> 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 we'll have each one draw something, we'll, we'll reveal the camera. Let's say you test me, this is <laughs> right. <experience. laughs>
4: no.
0: Well, feel free to jump in. Yeah. anytime. Uh, well, you know, in Baha'i faith we believe that God is absolutely transcendent and He is unknowable. Uh, but He reveals Himself to the world of creation in Baha'is belief in an emanational process. So, um, everything that exists in the world of creation receives a portion of the bounties and bestowals of God. in according to its rank and place in the, you know, in the stage of existence and in the process of creation. Um, but the first thing that emanates from God, the first emanation, also known as the first intellect, or the primal will, or, uh, or um, um, you know, the Holy Spirit perhaps, or the Word of God, is the reality of the manifestations of God. So uh, Baha'is believe that this is a pre-existent emanation from God um, and manifestations... Of God. So this reality um, is one, is single and it's pre-existent. Um, and in its connection with the world of God or with the Divine, does not is not bound or is not limited to the bounds of time or place and is not plural but it is associated uh, progressively with different prophets or messengers or essentially chosen members of the human race Baha'is refer to them as manifestations of God these individuals um, are special chosen individuals it's not like through um, knowledge or through spiritual quest or through a mystic practice, we could aspire to become like manifestations Mm -hmm. of God or, or messengers or prophets. And the reason is in them, Baha'is believe that the Holy Spirit is associated with the human spirit. So in them, there is a connection with the world of God, a divine connection. And there is a connection with the world of creation that is essentially their individuality. Mm-hmm. They are like um, true mirrors that reflect all the bounties and perfections and the names and attributes of mm-hmm. God. Everything in the world of creation also reflects to some extent the, the bounties and perfections and the names and attributes of God, everything that is created mm-hmm. because they emanate from God. But Baha'i believed, Baha'is believe that they but they differentiate between emanation and manifestation. Uh, I think that is a, a critical distinction to make. Can, can we pause before that it's distinction, true. but I do want to continue with that.
3: I'm curious to know this. The, the language that you're using and the metaphysics that you're employing to explain the Baha'i Faith, I'm, I'm curious to know how, how aware within the Baha'i, you know, because the Baha'is believe in a process of free inquiry, how much it is connected and rooted to other mystical traditions that's you know, geographically perhaps influenced my faith, we actually just came back from interviewing the Jews. And the Jews have a very fascinating relationship with Ismaili Islam, which has a relationship with Neoplatonism. And Neoplatonism, which goes on to inspire a lot of Western forms of philosophical mysticism, has a concept of the Nous or the word, or the wisdom, which is the first emanation, which then emanates the world's soul, which then emanates the world. How much of this um, comparative mysticism is something which which you guys study or are aware of, because the the exact speech that you, that you just gave could have been given by a new two thousand years ago, and that's an incredible thing. I think that, that points to some sort of shared some shared truth here.
0: And I think the reason for that perhaps is that perhaps we live the foundations of all divine religions, um, is the same. Mm-hmm. That the foundation is one. So and this is part of that. The foundational aspect and and the the spiritual aspect of of revelation and religion that we see in different religions. Mm. But I think you had also asked the question about about progressive revelation, and we can, of course, address it a bit further, uh, that as well. Because there is a universal aspect to religions and there is a temporal aspect Mm. to religions. The foundational or universal part is the same, it's fixed. Uh, like, you know, the ethical parts of religion, yes. or the golden rule, for instance. Yes. And there's a temporal part that changes, because um, as a religion relates to time and place and exigencies and requirements, um, um, won't be surprised that many of these mystic teachings are essentially at the very core of religion, they're part of the universal aspect mm. of, of each revelation. Baha'u'llah's takes heavily draw and, and glorify many notable mystics of the time. Mm. Um, like Ibn Arabi, for example, and and of course it's because of the context in which the Baha'i faith was born and the interaction of those texts to their general context, um, if you may. So so many of those concepts repeat themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hence the, the similar. Yes.
3: Is is there a space within the Baha'i communities today, perhaps here by the what's it called the house of the book, the, the shrine of the book, where the where the libraries kept, where the research is done? What's the name of that of that building here? Archives. There's, there's, an, there's a research center, right? center for study of the text. That one. Is there is there a place for the study of comparative mysticism in mean, this form, looking at the ideas from Ibn Arabi, looking at how they were shared and influenced, perhaps you know, updated or, or changed by?
0: Is there there is such a thing going on? Well, within here, as a specific focus program, probably not. I'm not sure. I'm not aware of any. But I think there are individual Baha'is, particularly that are interested, uh, know that. To to look at this from you know the, the perspective of the Baha'i teachings mm-hmm. to, to look at the comparative aspect of it. we're um, gonna to have to see some, we have to set up the comparative mysticism study center. going <laughs> <laughs> to take yeah, care we'll of that when we're back next.
3: Yeah. So t- is there anything you want to add to what uh Vashto just said? No, I think he treated it
1: very nicely, yeah.
3: Um, in Did, was there I'm curious, in, in one's own experience, this the the striving towards being a, a mirror of the divine. Is this something that ordinary humans can aspire to and can, can strive towards, even though we can't achieve it with our own works, it's a grace, it's a gift of grace, but is it something that an ordinary human, or is it just kept for, for select, for special souls or something like that?
1: Like, should we strive toward perfection?
3: Do, is, is, it, is, it a, is it is it a potentially achievable goal for any human? <laughs>
1: It is a goal. Mm. It is, should be a goal. Um, will we achieve it? <laughs> God willing. Is,
3: is, is there a doctrine of <laughs> is there a doctrine of gradations of souls that different souls um, can get further in their journey? And is there, is there anything of that nature behind
1: that, like predetermined, they will yes. get further than someone else, or, or have
3: the potential to get further,
1: different from someone else? Yes. Oh, is there such an idea?
3: Because this does come up mystical traditions where there are like, you know, bronze, silver, gold
4: signs.
0: <laughs> no, I don't think, I mean, I haven't heard, I don't think that is okay. But everyone is encouraged mm-hmm. um, and in fact, I think expected, mm-hmm. uh, because that's the purpose of our creation really isn't it, to, to, to strive towards that excellence mm-hmm. in, in, in every aspect. And I think the spiritual journey. And the uh, Mystic Quest, I think, is it, it's for everyone. Some might go further and be more advanced, and, and some might be busy with other requirements uh, of life and, and not advance as much, mm-hmm. but, but I don't think it's predetermined, at least, according to. Yeah.
1: yeah. According to my understanding,
2: yeah. exactly. Yeah. we all start out.
0: Shuriya, how
3: far are you down the path? <laughs> <laughs>
4: I'm
3: a big believer that there's a, a mutual space for comedy and spirituality. So, <laughs> so don't take anything that I'm saying
4: flippantly, I <laughs> take these things very seriously. Um,
3: how, so if we're striving to emulate God, Sherry, so I'm to this to you, we have to have some kind of idea of what God is or what it's like and we can emulate that thing which is God. So how, how would you describe what God is, what that thing that we're striving towards is?
1: Oh, wow. So my understanding in the Baha'i Faith, we are striving toward God. Um, but as you know, we mentioned, he's unknowable. And the way that we do get to know what we know of God is through religion, and it's through these manifestations of God. So one way that we can identify and understand what it is we're striving toward is to look at the lives of these manifestations. In the Baha'i Faith, it was further elucidated that we should look toward the example of Abdu'l Baha. This is who, even as our children are uh, growing up, we say, we'll look to the example of Abdu'l Baha, inasmuch as he embodied the spiritual perfections that a human being can attain. Um, these manifestations of God, you know how Varga was describing their emanations, yes? One analogy that Bahá'u'lláh uses in the writings is that of the sun and he describes God as the sun and mankind as you know, the Earth or the universe. And this sun is a life-giving force. It is full of light, it is full of warmth and heat, and it uh, is the source of life. How is it that this planet receives the light and warmth and life-giving force of the sun? The sun does not come to the earth itself, right? These rays of the sun come. And as they come, they bring the qualities of the sun with them. And that is how we experience the sun and that's how we live from the sun. So these manifestations of God, these messengers of God are these rays, these are these rays. Um, In the writings of the Baha'i Faith, this is how God is described, yes, as creator, as uh, parent as healer, as all-knowing, as omniscient, as the protector. In the prayers, some of the prayer that I shared, and in all of the prayers, the qualities of God are named. Mm -hmm. He's described. Um, Beyond that, I think the religious teachings are quite, I don't want to say clear, but I think really it's quite clear what we should be striving toward Mm -hmm. in our efforts to uh, mirror God right like love each other we're told like the, the guidance is quite clear <laughs> tell the truth um you know strive sacrifice pray serve mm. and it's through this we manifest the qualities of god
3: can i ask a, a pointed question referring to god you mentioned that god is he
1: yeah i knew you were gonna say that. Mm. I, I did is,
3: is god first before before i get to the question about gender is God would God best be described as a person or a principle? Does that make sense, that question?
1: Can you yes,
3: because actually before we ask the question, can we just do a battery check? Make we sure we're all good, or we to plug like, an opinion. So let's pick up with that question. Um, and I'll explain what I mean by yeah. person and principle. And then I want to pick up um on the question of the emanation versus manifestation. Alright. Oh, so and then we have a surprise kind for
2: psalm at the end. Really? <laughs> 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 magically ends <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's the That's the 11th question. Um, so, God in some, let's say more theistic forms of religion, is described with terms of personality. God is relational. God hears and answers. God chooses to create. God gets angry and forgives. And in some traditions more philosophical traditions god is a principle god is let's say Neoplatonism, the one mm-hmm. that overflows and emanates without really choosing to do so it's the the ground of being or being itself these are not personal things these are metaphysical things these are principles in the baha'i faith and i'm hearing p- bits of personality and bits of principality would you say god is more person or more principle or or neither or both
1: I feel like I want to think about this. Um, And I want to ask (laughs) Varga to chime in. Please, no,
3: we encourage thinking. yeah, definitely take your time.
1: Would you do you could you start?
0: I could start and again we have to think about how to answer. I think the most important principle that 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 we read in my Writings is that God is unknowable in its true sense. (laughs) <laughs> of the term. Yes. So God is uh, not describable, He is not accessible, um, He is ineffable. Whatever we describe mm-hmm. is in relation to what we feel um, of our interaction with things that have emanated from Him mm-hmm. or that reflect His name and attributes in this world mm-hmm. of creation. Mm-hmm. And according to our limited understanding, and whatever we describe is subject to the limitation of language. Yes. So if we call him, he, for example, it's purely because of the limitation of language, because um, we have to use some sort of pronoun mm. or some sort of word to, to describe him. It's just inevitable. Is there a reason why, why the male pronoun is chosen instead of the female pronoun? I, I don't think it means anything, to be honest, because when we say God is indescribable, then it doesn't matter what you say after that, it's purely our imagination. And it's also, we learn in the Baha'i writings, um, that there is a clear difference between our imagination and what God really is. So we can, for the sake of our understanding, distinguish between how God really is in the realm of God and what we understand God to be um, through our interaction with his reflections in the world of creation. And obviously they are different Hmm. and whatever we imagine at best we can imagine something and call it to be our God. Hmm. But obviously imagination is our creation. It is not our creator. So so that is, I think, a a very important distinction.
3: Sheree?
1: I mean, the only thing I can add, building off of what Varna has said, really is this idea of God being indescribable. We cannot fully understand God at all, ever, and yet we can all know God. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, as Baha'is, we believe that God has revealed himself to all of humanity throughout our history. There is not a people in the world that he has denied his bounty that he has denied his connection.
0: And of all the
1: histories and geographies and societies that we come from, uh, the languages we speak, the cultures we practice, the histories we come from,
0: we all know this
1: God. And I think, yeah, we are totally limited in our ability to describe God. Um, And I think as you travel the world and you go through different uh, communities and peoples—they may have described God differently, but I think when you listen and you connect, it's the same <laughs> God. It's the same God. You know, my parents are from two different places, and they talk about the histories and how um, religion is passed—you know, through generations. Like my father is from a tribe in Namibia that are oral traditionists, like so they pass tradition on orally. And the way that they, they use words that English doesn't even have mm-hmm. to describe reality mm-hmm. and history and to connect things. Um, but they've known God, mm-hmm. the same God that my mother's people mm-hmm. all the way across the oceans. Mm-hmm. No?
4: That's all that I can add. That's you know,
1: quite
3: something, it's quite fascinating. Yeah. It? it really is. I'm, I'm curious, I, want, I, I really do want to ask this question of emanation and manifestation, but I'm curious actually just to switch our, our hats a little here. Because the Baha'i faith to me seems like a really perfect faith. Like if, if if you had to create your own religion, you can imagine creating something like Baha'i. It's really like oh, it, it's really, really great. I'm gonna ask a critical question. is if, if, if there was one thing that you could change about the Baha'i faith, if there is one thing, what 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 might it be? One thing that you that you feel could be corrected, could be changed that if you had the power to you would make that change. I'll It's a difficult question because you have to switch hats now instead of <laughs> advocating for it to think critically about
1: I mean, I think that's a, it's a tricky question because I think part of why the Baha'i faith seems like the perfect religion now, because what I believe is that it was made for now. I do believe as a Baha'i that if I was alive in the time of Christ, What he was teaching would seem like the perfect religion now. Mm -hmm. In the time of Muhammad, the same thing. In the time of the Bab, I hope it's my hope, right? That I would connect with the messenger of God at that time, In the time of Krishna and Buddha. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of why it's hard for me to, I think that observation,
2: I think it's true.
3: (laughs) (laughs) If there was one thing that you've changed about the high faith. Yeah, I think. You have a ticket right now, straight to the Supreme (laughs) (laughs) Council, veto, what would it be?
0: I, I think you're yeah the the question is personal, but the answer I think is is a matter of principle really. I don't think there could be a personal answer, yeah. and I think as Shreya explained beautifully, that all religions are perfect, and I don't think it is, if we believe that, that all of these religions have a divine source, who knows what is good for us, who has created us, then it is not for anyone to change, <laughs> you know, the, the the divine guidance. So. I I personally wouldn't change anything about any religion. That's right.
3: That's <laughs> I, I mean th- this answer is consistent with the idea of progressive revelation. Right? I mean, I'm getting I'm getting the image. Excuse me if this is a bit sacrilegious. You have like a you have like an iPhone. It needs it gets an upgrade every every few months. You get the new software. So we as humanity, we get a software, we get a new download. Get a software update. It's a good it's a good one. <laughs> if 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 the Baha'i faith uses that analogy, I want credit. want credit. Tell us a bit about the difference between emanation and manifestation.
0: Sure. I think the concepts of emanation and manifestation come into picture when we discuss the process of revelation. Yes. Um, and the creation. Really. So, do both of you have water, by the way? You yes. yes. Thank you. Good. Yes. We don't want anyone yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so Yes. So, tell but, us then about revelation. Let's
3: take it back to step.
0: Yeah. So, Bahais mm-hmm. believe that everything uh, emanates from God, but they do not manifest God. And it's good to define and distinguish them. So emanation, by way of an example, is how when I'm speaking, my speech emanates from me. And my soul or my mind or my body is not consumed as I'm talking to you. It does not dissolve into particles, right? Uh, So the speech emanates from a speaker. Or when I write something, uh, the product or the text is an emanation mm-hmm. from my pain without destroying without without affecting me. yes needs. it doesn't consume i i suffer no decrease yes. or pain yes. when i do that but uh, manifestation is appearance so for example when a seed mm-hmm. turns into a tree the seed will mm-hmm. be no longer because it, it is consumed and and it changes shape and um, and it Takes the form of the fruits and the uh, twigs and the leaves, mm-hmm. so that's the difference. So, Baha'is would say that that's manifestation. That's, that's manifestation or appearance, and Baha'is believe that the process of revelation, whether revelation in its general sense, so appearance of everything, let us say, reflection or emanation of everything from God, um, is a process of emanation, but also uh, the revelations um, that we describe as religion, um, so the the first emanation, if you may, or the first intellect, or the primal will, or the reality of, of messengers and prophets, that also emanates from God. Um, so nothing in the world of creation, no matter if it's a, a, a part of the Mineral kingdom, or it's the manifestations of God. Nothing embodies God in the sense that God descends and appears in their form. So there is no uh, incarnation, let's Mm. say, in the Bahá'í belief. There is no, you know, anthropomorphism Mm. that God appears in the form of Mm. uh, of any created being. Is there anything in creation which is a manifestation of God? Then manifestation in its if if it means here manifestation in the generic sense it. of emanation no 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 in the technical sense of in the technical sense, the technical sense of appearance yes. no mm. No, absolutely not so mm. Baha'is belief that god is absolutely transcendent mm. which means there is no immanent aspect to god mm. absolutely and and i understand that the concept of immanence is a useful con- concept in certain contexts but in the process of revelation creation and our interaction and relationship with god uh, baha'is believe that god is absolutely transcendent which mm. means he is absolutely single he is simple he is uh, non-delimited as in there is no association with him and he's incorporeal so he is um, purely immaterial mm.
3: so this opens a fascinating question which is the distinction between most religions in theology which makes a tradition either theistic or mystical is that there is some sense of imminence in the theology which allows it to be a union, a presence, a connection because if there is no imminence, if God is totally and utterly transcendent, then there's no coming close to God, there's no reaching God, there's no encountering God, there's no knowing God if God is absolutely transcendent. So how does the Baha'i Faith eradicate a doctrine of divine imminence and still still hold on to a a tradition which you wanted to self-describe as mystical where one can come to and
0: encounter the divine i think this is a
3: very puzzling
0: issue here. This is, yes and you've asked the million dollar question this is a question that has i think baffled humanity it, it poses paradoxes to a collective uh, i think spiritual quest of humanity since the beginning of time it has always been this question on the one hand we are promised the presence of god and the other, we say, and we, a collective humanity, we, I'm referring to, we say that God is uh, inaccessible. On the one hand, uh, we say that we can find the signs of God in everything. On the other, we say that uh, God has an essential distinction with, with his creation. So how to solve this question, I think, is a very important question. Uh, as you described, that, um, Baha'is believe in the absolute transcendence of God and that poses some difference, I think, with, with some other, perhaps, traditions. Um, the, I think that's also an involved question. I think we have to somehow build the foundation. Of this. What is interesting is that the question of the, the concept of absolute transcendence uh, is understood by human mind in a very interesting way. Because if we say, God is absolutely transcendent, full stop, um, then we are saying that God has nothing to do with humanity. That that God does not need humanity, and we cannot interact with God. That God cannot be worshipped, that God cannot be obeyed. Um, To human mind, that concept is very similar to the concept of non-existence. And I think somehow we have to tackle this this paradox. Um, The short answer is the Baha'i Faith uh, explains this historic paradox and solves it through the concept of the manifestation of God. That's such a pivotal concept, I think, to to all the teachings of the Baha'i Faith. And that is, manifestations of God reflect all the names and attributes and perfections of God um, in their true sense, like a perfect mirror uh, facing the sun. Uh, And I think we can take a step back still to explain. When Baha'is say that God is um, unknowable uh, and indescribable and ineffable and inaccessible, they mean as God is, truly is, in the world of God. In the world of God, God does not even have any names and attributes. And this is all speculation because we are talking about it in the world of creation. If God does have names and attributes in the world of God, then they must be identical with his essence because God is absolutely one, uh, you know, the, the absolute singleness or absolute oneness in, in the world of God. But what happens is that in the process of revelation, everything emanates from God and to some extent they carry some names and attributes of God, some sign of God. And what is interesting is we can find a way to the divine bounties and divine grace and the reflections of God through everything and through everyone that is around us. And I think that is an important point of unity and that, is, that has some mystic sense to it as well, which is quite interesting. In one sense, we can say because of that process of emanation and universal revelation everything reflects some signs of God. So God can be found in a limited sense, Um, in the world of creation, in everything and everywhere. So that is a strong, I think, mystic element perhaps Mm. that existed. But above all, and, and I think in its truest sense, God can be found in its true reflection, in the manifestations of God that have chosen um, members of the human so race. So let me pause you there. Some of you are an suit theologian. Well done. Good person.
4: Good casting. Good casting job here. Anyway. Ten, ten. Ten, ten. ten on ten.
2: So. <coughs>
3: <laughs> Do I need to make coffee. <laughs> I'm you a coffee seller. Um, With if. Would you guys like a coffee interview? No. Okay. no I'm, I'm, I'm a professional barista by the way. Oh. I can I make, I make, make it. I can <laughs> <stuff. laughs> <laughs> um, Here, I want to I want to pull you back to something that you just said earlier. I assume that you're speaking. You recently what manifestation out in a technical sense, and previously we said that there were tech, in a technical sense there are no manifestations in reality. So, how can we reconcile the paradox of God's transcendence, almost to the point of non-existence, with the concept of manifestations, if you just told us that there
0: are other manifestations? To, to make it very clear, manifestations of God also emanate from God. The reality of the manifestation of God, so that first emanation, or the primal will, or the word of God, that also emanates from God. Nothing manifests God. Okay. But, so that is the, the technical sense. But manifestation of God is a term that Baha'is used to describe the perfect human being, or the mm. chosen member of human race, or the prophets, or the messengers. And that is uh, a generic use of the term manifestation. Ah, yes, 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 yes. It does not mean that God incarnates in them. or yeah. so, so when you use the term manifestation the second time, you're using it colloquially? Yes, as manifestations of God. In, in that Poor sense in the sense of manifestations of god meaning prophets and messengers they do not manifest god gotcha yes they reflect so so the um, the,
3: what's referred to in in the colloquial sense as manifestations of god are just uh, perfect or near perfect uh, reflections which are emanations of god the question then to not let you off so easily is if you have a radical ontological break There's no relation between God in God's world, as as you use the phrase, and whatever comes out from that, so the the emanated is only reflections of God. There's still, even if the reflections are able to tell something of the characteristics of what was shining forth, like the rays of the sun can tell something of the sun, there's still, there's, there's, there's like almost a line that cannot be crossed into the realm of the divine. And the human is forever exiled from the divine realm. And we can we can look at the reflections from today to tomorrow and, and try emulating, try copying, even find perfect emulations, but there's no way to actually be in relationship or be or be possess knowledge that's unif- that unifies the knower and the known, or to have an experience of love that goes over that boundary. I'm not sure if a term of love is used between the human and God in Baha'i Faith. These things are all impossible if all were you know, have available to us, are just perfect
0: reflections, even perfect reflections. Is there, how how would that be? Yes, Baha'is believe that there is absolutely no direct tie of intercourse with God, absolutely not. We know everything that we know of God through His perfect mirrors, through manifestations of God. Bahá'u'lláh has explained in his writings that to know manifestations of God, is equivalent to knowing God, and that is the closest we can mm. come to having any relationship with God. Otherwise, um, Baha'is believe very clearly that there is absolutely no direct relationship mm. with God. In fact, in our daily obligatory prayer, we testify to this every day. That is something that we repeat. I'm curious, no one... yes. 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 So, when we pray directly to God, that's
4: not a direct
0: relationship with Him. So, even in in the in, in the writings we are encouraged to address right. God through his manifestations mm. that our prayers will be more effective if they are addressed to God through his manifestations because we have absolutely no understanding of what right. God is Sama, I love the
3: fact you asked that you put a question, there you go <laughs> yeah. I know, I, I love that this is, and this case the <laughs> I mean I I that you I think that question is very good because even if we are praying to or through of the manifestations if it if it's ever able to cross over into the divine realm right then we're praying with the glass ceiling right which um, might be a double entendre there because of the masculine language <laughs> but um is, is 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 there a space where where in the baha'i faith one can cross can break through because what what you find in many mystical traditions is that there is that there is a limit where the human tradition goes but then there is something which, goes, which, which breaks that, which ruptures that break between the human and God, and there is a place for them to actually encounter. Is there, is there anything of that sort?
0: No, and what you describe is, I think, essentially the ultimate objective of the mystic quest in its conventional yes. or traditional sense. And I think that is perhaps one point of major difference mm. between the conventional understanding of, of mysticism and and the Baha'i approach to to the mystic and Mm. spiritual quest, uh,
4: that there is no
0: unity of experience with God in the Baha'i faith. Um, But the reason Baha'is believe that the manifestations of God are true mirrors is because of their their twofold station, if you may. So Baha'is believe that manifestations of God have a station of essential unity or divine unity in their connection with the divine realm and they have also a station of distinction Mm. that is their individuality. Um, Because of that, um, in one sense you can say that our connection with the manifestation of God um, is equivalent to our connection with God because through the manifestation we feel all the perfections and attributes and names Okay. So let's get
4: very
3: clear, because this is something which I'm very interested in. The, the manifestations of God. You you just I just said two different things. One was that there that what differentiates Baha'i mysticism from others is that there is no real unitive encounter. And then you went to say that the that the manifestations are in a state of unity with the divine, which is common of the way that Neoplatonists perhaps speak of Naus and, and the divine. How how do we reconcile those two things that you just said?
0: So not in the sense of mystic unity of experience. I think that uh, unity, the essential unity, is in the sense that they are the first emanation from God. Um,
4: Right, so the reality of the
0: manifestations of God. And that their knowledge is made to be equivalent with the knowledge of God. There is a connection with the divine realm, but it does not mean that the manifestations of God come from the world of God, whatever it might mean, because it's indescribable. but at some you know, language fails us here because we, even if you say at some point the reality of the manifestation of God is created, we are necessarily imposing a concept of time mm-hmm. to the creation, whereas we believe that the reality of the manifestation. These, these reality
3: manifestations, are they seen as emanated or emanators?
0: Uh, that's a very interesting question, both. Mm-hmm. So, so they, the reality of the manifestation of God emanates from God, in fact. Is first of nation, but not in the sense of timing first, yes. um, because it's also pre-existence. Yes. But the whole creation comes into being through that reality. Um, so, in fact, you can say that that reality of manifestation of God, the Word of God, or 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 the the prime will of God, is what creates the rest of the creation. So there's so there's
3: there's a there's a What we would refer to, perhaps technically, as a metaphysical hypostasis, which is both emanator and emanated, something which is very, very common in mystical traditions, because we really need that hypostasis to to make sense of that relationship. Here's going to be a a technical question from the other side to try and to try and pull the edges on what you're saying. A mystical tradition which affirms a real ontological distinction, a real distinction in being between the emanator and emanator, between God and world, as, as you're proposing, needs to make sense of the existence of the world. Does the world itself have an independent, external existence to God? Is there something other than God that actually exists? Does the world exist? Does it not exist? If it does exist, is it part of God? Is it not God? This is a very common metaphysical question for mystical traditions. I'm curious to know within the Baha'i faith how, how that may be
0: slice to the dust. Yes. I think then we can refer to explain this question. We can refer to two types of existence, mm-hmm. I think. There is existence in its um, general sense of the term, that everything that we see around us exists, right? Um, but there is an existence, which is the, the true existence or, or the only existence um, in a specific sense. Um, that is the existence of God. So this existence that we see around us in the world of creation is, um, as non-existent com- when compared to, to that existence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's perhaps we can just differentiate between the two sense so, of the term so existence to, to, explain. Is there, is there, is there an embracing of a doctrine and I'm curious
3: to know how, how much this is esoteric and how much this reaches a more broader audience of a, a theory and philosophy that would. Perhaps be best called a cosmism that the world does not really exist that the world is, is illusory at least in relation to god is that is that a, is that a doctrine which is accurate and which which filters down
0: within the baha'i faith yes you know, this is a baha'i teaching yes Abdul Baha in um, some answered questions the volume of a compilation of his talks some answered questions in fact talks about this to differentiate between the two types of existence he's asked um, question about um, the unity of existence. It, it, you know, there's a school of thought that um, that some uh, Theosophists believe in that that's the unity of existence. And someone is asked, um, do Bahais believe in the unity of their existence? And Abdullah explains it by by differentiating between the two types of existence. Mm-hmm. That the general existence that we talk about, existence that we talk about, um, is um, um is an addition to the substance is not the truth of the substance, whereas the uh, the true existence that, that we talk about is the is the reality of God, and that's why these two existences cannot be compared. they refer to two different things mm-hmm.
3: I'm curious to know is this, is this an idea which which filters into general education, that there's a that there's a distinction, that there's a a an existential um, differentiation and, and lack of real being to the real world. Is that
0: something which 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 filters through? No, I think quite the opposite. Sorry, I'm so, no I'm this question. I'll come here. Yes, yes.
1: Um, I'm I'm very curious yeah. to know
3: both technical theology and also mm-hmm. theology as it's understood
0: by the broad community, because I think there's a, there's a very important relationship between yeah. those two. Um, and I think there is perhaps a mystic angle to, to this as well, because it's, I think, common among some mystic orders that there is... Um, that, that the world is viewed perhaps as a hindrance to the mystic quest sometimes, or as an obstacle. There is some, among some, uh, so, some mystic thoughts, there is some degree of anti-worldliness and the Baha'i idea of the world is quite opposite. I think we are encouraged to live in the world, everything that we are supposed to do in our spiritual quest uh, towards acquiring divine um, wisdom and uh, unveiling of truth and divine attribution is done in this world. So we are encouraged, for example, to have... um I'm curious, why would that
3: be the case if if theologically the position is that the world itself does not have true existence, that's illusory in comparison to God. It would seem like the
0: theology would instead push one towards... It's not illusory. I think we have to say, it has a real existence, but that mm-hmm. existence compared to the true existence. You know, an example could be, an example which I mentioned, the rays of the sun. Mm-hmm. And we get a portion of the rays of the sun, but it's not comparable to, to the, the, the light at the source. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's a comparative hmm. difference, I think, between the, the two types of existence, hmm. that we hmm. say. D-
3: is, there, is there any moment in Baha'i history where that, where that thinking does push people away from embodied spiritual practice and towards more ascetic, escapist, mystical practice? Does that happen in, in Baha'i history?
0: Individuals might right. are free to have different experiences and practices, but this is not a Baha'i teaching. Hmm. That that specifically prescribes certain uh, you know mystic practices or experiences um, that you you know so certain experiences are not regulated or stimulated in order to create um, a mystic experience through you know that process of um, you know being detached or separated mm. from this world, mm. if it makes sense. I think the closest experience that we can say is the state of prayer mm. um, and Baha'is do pay attention to you know, praying in quiet, perhaps um, at night, in privacy, when they are free of daily cares, in order to, to bring about that condition mm. that is perhaps more you mm. know, conducive to that, yes. to that spiritual rapture yes. and, and attention. Yes. Sheree, what do you mean all
3: this?
1: You know, as you all were talking, I was just thinking that a, a real focus of the Baha'i faith and one of like its foundational principles is this idea of humankind being here as the creation of God, like we have been created, but not just created, like we have been created to carry forward an ever advancing civilization are the words. We have been created to know and love God. We have been created to serve humanity. So we are definitely created and living in a world with a purpose and with an intention to do something with our lives while here and that we will continue, like the soul goes on. So I think like on the one hand, well no it's not on the one hand. We strongly believe that we have two parts, spiritual and material, and that in this world, they're both alive and connected in our body, our soul, and we're advancing like that. Um, yeah, but anything, and even in our totality, all of us, you go back in history and go forward to the future, when compared to God, like sum us all up, where is nothing, and that's I think that, that's that existence and non-existence, when compared with the ultimate.
3: It's a humbling belief. It's
1: absolutely yeah. humbling.
3: Is there a space to experience that belief, to experience the, the nothingness of human existence within our own lives?
1: I think every day.
3: Mm, yes. No? How?
1: I mean, Varma explained like there's prayer, mm. yes, like when we pray, we submit, mm. we try mm. to submit.
3: Is there, is there a practice of, of self-nullification? That, is that something which to to feel the is, that, is there something like that to feel the emptiness of our own existence in comparison to the, the real existence of god i think through prayer
0: yeah it's you know by focusing our attention on um, on the words perhaps that that we utter as, as we are praying and um, the, with the purity of motive with the attraction of heart or You know, that rupture of spirit. Yes, so we can do that, but not, uh, that doesn't have to be a physical practice. So the the Baha'i Faith does not have a physical or a sensory practice in order to bring that about, because the knowledge can be acquired. And and I think perhaps that's the question of how we can really acquire certain types of knowledge. We can through our senses, but we can also through, um, you know, intellectual and discursive raising but we can also through intuitive uh, knowledge and learning and and through mystical uh, knowledge we can also receive that knowledge but they're not dependent necessarily on each other Uh, because I think one common theme perhaps and again among some mystics is that in order to get a spiritual or mystic experience or knowledge we have to practice um, or regulate, or deprive, our senses. Mm. Um, Baha'is believe that that's not necessarily so. Without the practice, or regulation, or deprivation of senses, we can have um, discursive knowledge, in, intellectual knowledge. And without both, we can also have, through the bounty of God perhaps, we could have, um, you know, some aspect of um, intuitive knowledge, mm. or. Or, or inspiration, or, or divine through reflection on the on the emanations of God. Yes, yeah. through through the words of Roof. the manifestation of God, Roof. whose knowledge is uh, equivalent. And instead to of knowledge. closing us off from, from this.
4: yeah. I
2: was actually asking
1: uh, about what happens after death, if you can enter the presence of God after oh, death. That's a great question. Yeah, but he was saying that the presence of God after death is also
2: synonymous with the presence of the manifestation of God. Mm. And then the question was, what happens to the manifestation of God? Do they enter mm. the presence? They mm. also don't mm. enter.
0: Mm.
1: So they
2: enter the presence so for themselves?
0: Look, I think that because after death what happens is that our soul happen. is not associated with this body, physical body here anymore. Oh. But the question of presence of God is not a question of material or spiritual existence, mm. it's a matter of station, mm. I think. So whatever we do and, mm. and in whatever world we, you know, we, we move to, mm. our station is a human station. Mm. We won't even reach the station of the manifestations, of let's be not this station. Yeah. There's an interesting notion in,
3: in Neoplatonism, which which there's a lot of evidence it comes straight through Sufism, where where one can ascend the ladder, the chain of being of emanations, into the manifestations, and then the manifestations themselves, the nouns tones to God, and can somehow like the it's the Neoplatonist uses the uh, the chain of Jacob, Jacob's ladder. Mm. Um, is there a sense that that humans can climb or descend that
0: ladder? I think that clear focus on the absolute distinction between the station of God and the world of creation. It's always maintained. Yes, always maintained because uh, God is described as that necessary being who is single, who is simple, who is incorporeal. And us, or the world of creation, is the exact opposite of that. We are not necessary. We are contingent. We are originated. We are not single. We are in the world of plurality. limited, we are, um, you know, corporeal and for us to arrive there, either we have to become incorporeal, become invisible, become single, become Mm -hmm. non-delimited and essentially become God by definition or God has to lose his singleness, his simplicity, his necessity uh, and his incorporeality In order to come to this world of creation, for us to have a unity of experience, according to the Bahá'í teachings, and thereby lose his godness, (laughs) you know, so that's why, logically, I think, according to the Bahá'í teachings, it's just not possible. Either we have to become God or God has to cease to become God.
3: I'm very curious because the the language you used to describe these things is very, it's very specific and technical. Do you have a a background? Did you, did you study? Any specific in metaphysics, any philosophy? any do you have some sort of training?
0: Not systematically. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did my undergraduate degree as as advanced by high studies, mm-hmm. um, but not the rest of it. My my <laughs> postgraduate studies uh, were were on different topics, but I have been interested yeah, always. Yeah. I think so. I'm perhaps a student. of cool. um, of philosophy, or mysticism, or religion, but I would only scratch the surface as you can. Yeah.
1: Sorry, I I wanted you to perhaps describe for him the ring symbol, which shows the connection between... Yes? (laughs) (laughs) I've been thinking about it as you're talking, I'm like, well, there's a symbol, I think, that describes it, that we (laughs) all know.
0: I haven't talked about this script. Come on. It's what what he was describing.
1: Mm -hmm. So, at least this is how it's been explained to me. Correct me if I'm wrong. You see, this is, we call it the ring sim, one of the ring symbols that Mm -hmm. Baha'i's, you might find a Baha'i wearing it on their ring or their jewelry. This top line is God.
3: Can I just show this to the camera for a second? Yeah,
1: (laughs) You'll see it when you visit the shrines. It's up there. So this top line is God. This middle line, in the middle there, and going vertical, mm-hmm. these are the manifestations of God, these messengers of God. And that's us, humanity, connected to God through these manifestations. Mm-hmm. But you can see, as Varva was describing, we have different stations, we are distinct uh, from the manifestations and from God, yet we're connected mm-hmm. through the
3: manifestation. Mm-hmm. This is the great paradox of distinct yet connected. Yes. This is really the great paradox of religion. It's, it's really fascinating because, because each religion has its own metaphysical schema and, and Ibn Arabi has really sophisticated ways to, to try and reconcile these, these paradoxes. And I think for, for, for our more advanced audience, these types of descriptions will be very fascinating to hear how, within the Bible faith, these paradoxes are explored and navigated and experienced. I think so, so thank you for sharing that. I do want to move to some of the other questions that we had here. We're actually, Phyllis had so, a question. Uh-huh.
2: Uh, okay. <laughs> 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 um, sorry, I'm not going to question. But I want to know as you believe that like, all religions are true and that this is true for now, it sounds like when you're talking that there's things just that I know Judaism mostly that there's things that are conflicting in the other religions. So are there points that you study in the other religions where you say this is? I know it happens like between Judaism and Christianity where it was very clear, like, okay, this is very nice, but now we have a new thing and these things were wrong about Judaism and now we have Christianity. Does Baha'i also do that where you say this stuff is wrong? Or is it do you more just say that was right for that time but this time has a new, fresh perspective? Because some of the metaphysical things you were saying about like in Judaism we believe that like God is
4: here and in everyone and everything, you kind of say that, but
0: then it's like the paradox again. I think it's a new well, it <laughs> touches on the I, I think on the theme of progressive revelation, Yeah, okay, I'm happy to, to talk to that and feel free I'll chime in. to jump in, but I think again, th- this is. An, an involved question and it needs some building but I think we've done we've addressed quite a few elements of the foundation with which is essentially our relationship with god and 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 the manifestations of God so I think just, just the part that now we can take where we left is then um, the dual uh, stations of the manifestation of god so in their state, station of essentials. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Actually, I wasn't paying attention to questions. <laughs> <laughs> but can someone repeat the question as
3: they understood it? And then once you can confirm that was your question, and then I need to the how did What was the, what was the question that, that you heard was asked?
0: So, in some religions there is this concept that what the previous religion said um, is wrong. Um, how does the Baha'i Faith explain this in its relation mm-hmm. to the previous religion? Mm-hmm. Do we say that, um, that it was for that time and now we've moved on, or it's just wrong, or how do we interact with things? Simply that the Baha'i faith does not believe um, in, in previous religions. Do you
4: feel to like I and, and representative representative you totally accurately represented my question, but I now hearing
0: my question back, here, I want to add one a <laughs> little piece to it that
2: like as like someone who is practicing a religion that Baha'i believes it's an outdated religion, um, that you like, so there's a bit of a disconnect. And I also feel this, like even within Judaism, sometimes I feel like we're practicing things that were meant for thousands of years ago and Mm -hmm. that I believe that we can update within Judaism Mm -hmm. and I want to understand how Baha'i interacts with other religions that are still Mm -hmm. in existence and practicing today.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, that's an interesting facet as well so intra-faith in mm-hmm. change as well so i might still start maybe with, yeah, with this kind of essential unity and distinction so manifestations of god in the sense that they are the first emanation from god with the primal will with the f- first intellect in that sense they can all be called by the same name they represent the same essence the same reality they can be said to occupy the same station so they are all one in that sense but their individuality is not the result of their connection with the realm of God or in the sense that they are the Primal will or, or they carry the Holy Spirit or they are the word of God it is in the sense of their station of distinction so that pre-existent essential reality that was created, the the revelation, the first emanation, in its connection with the world of creation, which is the world of, um, it's a material world, it's a world of diversity, it's a visible realm, it's a material realm, it has to um, become, it has to have a material aspect, it has to have an element of change, it has to have an element of diversity and plurality. Even though that reality itself is spiritual, and is one and is spiritual and and, and and is single in its and invisible when it is connected to this world of creation that is a visible realm and it's a material world it has to accept the properties of um, of visibility of plurality and, and 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 as it pertains to to the world of matter because of that um, even though the the realm of God is the realm of perfection and constancy and absolute singleness, the revelation that comes from God, um, when when we feel it and when we experience it, because this realm is the realm of imperfection and is the realm of change and is the realm of plurality, it experiences uh, this multiplicity, plurality and change. And that is, I think, the, the fundamental, perhaps, theological basis in the Bible writings for progressive revelation. But there is a, a social perspective to it as well, that the purpose of all religion is individual and social progress and transformation. Individual as in, you know, to, to, to develop the capacities that we are all endowed with in the realm of society and collective Progress, for example, our peace and our unity and our security. Um, And there are two aspects, I think, to, to each religion. There is the universal aspect that is fixed, I think we maybe briefly touched on this, and there is a temporal or a social aspect that changes over time. The universal aspect is fixed between all religions, and that is the truth of the religion. That's why many religions have so much in common. And this concept of, for example, mysticism that we touched upon, or, or many of those fundamental concepts that describe our relationship with God and with prophets and messengers, you, you can feel there is some similarity between them. The ethics is the same. But the temporal aspect, the laws that pertain to, let's say, uh, birth and death and marriage and divorce and, and these things, changes according to the realities of time and place um, in which those religions come. So I think the Baha'i Faith describes um, or explains those differences between religions and the laws that have changed or or things that that the Baha'i Faith has perhaps abrogated in the sense of the difference in requirements of time and place, and the exigencies um, of the reality of society at the time. It does not mean that they are wrong. I think that's a very relative term. They were perfect teachings from a divine source at the time that they were revealed. But because the reality of time has changed, um, and the Baha'i faith certainly believes that history has a direction. And we are moving towards a, a final cause, towards a, a telos, if you. It, it defines history to be teleological. Because of that, every religion contributes to a stage in the development and in our movement towards that, that final hmm. cause. And and I think that final cause is also defined in many religions, um, in similar terms. It's a process of collective maturity of humankind. It's the establishment of the kingdom of God on earth. It's and it's that process of reunification in the realm of God, God is one. We have experienced plurality here, but we are essentially and inherently God-seeking. That is our natural constitution, that is our original constitution. So that we are going back towards God, we're going back towards that essential unity. So every religion has contributed according to the reality of time and place in which it came, contributes towards that process of reunification. At some time, the focus was the unity at the, you know, familial unit, family unit. Later it became at the uh, unit of tribe, let's say, at another p- point, and unity of nation state, then unity of adherence of other religion. And the Baha'i faith now is promoting the unity at the world, particular. Like mm. That was, a really, that was really very beautiful,
3: and I love how you tie that into the metaphysical grounding of the absolute, the unified, and then the relative, the, the multiplicitous, and how those two aspects evolve within the traditions, where there is the eternal and there is the subjective, and that which changes with the time, which is right for the time. It needs to be adapted. There's, there's a sort of an evolutionary sense that we're moving towards something, I towards a, a greater perfection, a greater unity, which I think might bring us to the messianic question. I think it, it might lead directly there but before we ask the question I want to know is there a process within the Baha'i faith itself that that can recognize the things that within the Baha'i faith itself which are temporary which need to be adjusted as time goes on is there such a process an internal process for development and for, for perfection
0: yes I'm sorry I'm taking all the questions please. <laughs>
4: i want to turn the question <laughs> of Messianism
3: to, to Sheree oh. I want you to sum them
4: that.
1: So
3: you can think about that. <laughs> that one if I might just this.
1: add before he goes on <laughs> please, to discuss, of course. Just,
3: please jump in at any time. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
1: Like um, as Varna said, you know, when he described when we describe religions of the past, that is how we describe them and how he said that we really do recognize them as perfect. We really do recognize their divinity and their perfection. And in this day As we are advancing toward this goal, the unification of humankind, the ends and the means must be both honorable, yes? Must be both divine. So we cannot really, as Baha'is, sit here and say, oh, well, a Jewish person or a Muslim person or a Christian person is this, that, or the other in a critical way and expect that to bring us toward unity. So no, not at all. Our embrace is world-reaching, it really is a full embrace. So we participate in interfaith dialogues, we embrace our neighbors and our family members and our co-workers of various faiths because this path towards unity is by being united. It is through unity. You know, Baha'u'llah says the peace of humankind, its well-being and security is unattainable unless and until its unity is firmly established. So like our path toward this is also important, how we get there. And um, this is that essential unity, right, between the religions. So we see a harmony, we see a, a space for all and, and this continuum. And there's, there can be no critique, yes, or uh, like saying it was wrong or this or that. Like we really do recognize the divinity of the previous manifestations. That to say you're Baha'i says that you, you say you believe that, you mm-hmm. believe in that.
3: Mm-hmm. That opens an explicitly a humanical yes. space. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, <bitch. Sorry. laughs> so, when you say like the goal, the end goal of unifying everybody, when you guys are both speaking about this, I'm hearing like people are trying to find God, something that you cannot truly understand. the essence of but because people are working from the family and the tribe, and eventually a religion is created, um, is the end goal for? everyone to embrace Baha'i, as Baha'i believes, or is it really to squash the concept of all religions? That's an
1: interesting way you post it. I don't think it's to squash all religion at all, yeah, because we believe that religion should be the source of good. We believe that it should be the source of inspiration and the ingathering of humanity. If it is used in another way, then, yeah, then that's not good. Um, The end goal is the unification of humanity. Um, If we describe it as Baha'is, perhaps it will look very Baha'i, but inherent in our humanity, as Varma was describing, is our diversity. Inherent in our humanity is, um, difference of opinion, difference of idea, difference of path, right? Uh, it's not a uniformity at all, but it is a unity. It is an ingathering. It is a, a cohesion. It is a kind of all of us looking toward the same God. Um, does that answer Does that answer? Let me ask
3: your question. I think in that, in in I'm going to get back to the previous question, but in that messianic phase,
0: is religion
3: practiced? Are there multiple religion practice? Is it the Bahai faith practice? What what is the religion of the future age? If any.
0: Um, so the concept of messianism does exist in the Bahai faith, um, but I think the important point is, and and I think that the Bahais believe that the concept of. Um, Progressive revelation, in some form or sense, does exist in all religions and I think that's an important point to acknowledge perhaps because it it might appear in different terms for example, we have the um, concept of resurrection we have the concept of return we have the concept of abrogation in in many religions right? And, and I feel those describe the same theme of progressive revelation in a sense if we acknowledge the essential unity of the manifestations of God, then return essentially becomes um, you know the coming of a new manifestation, rather, a new messenger or prophet. Every new messenger could be the return of, of a previous or any other prophet of God. Um, resurrection is the same, so that eschatological end-of-day meeting with God, or that Judgment, Day of Judgment, Day of Resurrection, the concept of end of days is essentially um, the coming of a new, new manifestation of God. And you see how the concept of manifestation of God is quite central to, to all the Baha'i teachings? Um, because any so in that Day of Judgment, which is essentially the coming of a new manifestation of God, the followers of a previous religion will be judged um, according to whether they accept or they reject. The new manifestation of God, and that is why Bahai faith believes that it's referred to as Day of Judgment um, or the end of Day, So it's the end of a previous dispensation. Um, so, so that is perhaps the basis of the concepts of messianism in the Bahai faith as well. In one sense, Bahá'u'lláh is the promised One of all ages. So he's the return um, of the prophets of the past but he's also the one that they have promised and um, so with him Baha'is believe that the day of judgment or resurrection has appeared at the same time Baha'is believe in the concept of progressive revelation applying to the Baha'i faith itself as well that the Baha'i faith is not the, the, the final religion after the Baha'i faith certainly Other religions and other manifestations of God will appear, but I think uh, so. Really, to now answer your question, if if you don't mind, I think the the point is that the Bible is a very new religion. Now, Uh, it has um, you know appeared in nineteenth century. Uh, Baha'u'llah said that the duration of this religion, just like many other religions, will be at least a thousand years. What happens, I think, in what we see in in all major religions is that in the early years and decades and really the first few hundred years of, of each religion, what happens is that the, the teachings of that religion are practiced. People put it to practice, they apply it, and then they learn about the implications of that practice. What has happened is that those teachings are promulgated, they are translated, they are published, they are disseminated, and people learn about those. Communities are built based on those teachings. It has always happened like this. Communities emerge that embody those teachings, perhaps. And much later than that comes, um, you know, the appearance of arts and philosophy and the theological debates and discussions um, and scholarship in that religion. But much after all of these things have already taken place, at the beginning of a religion, like now, we don't even know what all the teachings are. They have not been translated. Many teachings have not been published, Many of the writings of Bahá'u'lláh. I think when they are all promulgated, the debates and scholarship and philosophy and arts appear based on these teachings, then I think that perhaps is a, is a more suitable time to now sit and explore those teachings and see what they say about the next manifestation yes. of God. That's a very fascinating sort of historical angle to bring.
3: Which is also a a point for concern, because if anyone is a student of religion, they know that religions begin very idealistic and very promising and very true to their principles. But part of, unfortunately, the the, the human progress is that this degradation of religion, it becomes about power, it becomes about establishment, it becomes about pride and, and, and place.
0: And this is, I mean, and,
3: and this perhaps may be the psychological equivalent of the need for a returning manifestation that throughout human history, we need someone to come and crack open the religion and say, okay hey guys, we're doing it wrong, let's get back to principles. Is there, is there a self-consciousness and a concern that within the Baha'i faith itself, being so young and being so fresh in the first 200 years, that, that it may follow the natural course of religions, which is to become stale and to become petrified and, and needing, again, I mean, maybe a thousand years thousand years is, is, is a long time for religion to, to, stay, to stay good to its principles. Is, is, that, is, that a, is that a concern? Is that something which, which plays into Baha'i thinking?
0: Yes, in fact, this, this same exact concept is described in the Baha'i Writings, that all religions, including the Baha'i Faith, will go through that life cycle. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's likened to the, the cycles of, of seasons, yeah. mm-hmm. that we experience the spring of religion when the teachings begin to be promulgated um just like the flowers bloom and then there will be the the season for the summer when when the teachings come to fruition you can see that baha'i faith is still in its very early stages in its formative years it's perhaps in its spring at the moment you you have not seen the fruition of the of the baha'i teachings throughout the world yet but there is this acknowledgement that that the same life cycle will certainly apply to the baha'i faith as well and that is exactly as you described the reason why and new religions come and new relationships. That's so brilliant.
3: The, the idea of a life cycle of religion is such a beautiful idea. My only disappointment is that you guys didn't come dressed in spring clothing. 100%. But that, that is such a beautiful idea. And it's such a healthy idea to know that religions themselves are organic and biological and go through a life cycle and need to be, you know, revivified and resurrected with, with new blood, with new freshness. And and the winter of religion is very hard for religion. But for religion to have its own self-awareness to acknowledge that religions. Go through a winter and go through a period where it looks like everything is barren, to then be reborn and to be to be open to that to to return. So so is there there's an opening to in about sometime eight hundred years from now, a great 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 grandchildren for, for the next manifestation after Baha'u'llah to come and respring religion is is that is that anticipated expected?
1: Absolutely, this is what Baha'u'llah has taught us about religion. Like this this whole idea of progressive revelation absolutely applies to the Bahai. Faith. Mm.
3: So so even the Bahai faith itself is not perfect. There there are elements of Eternality, and there are elements of temporality as well, both of them are present in, in, within the tradition, is that correct?
1: Yeah, I would uh, suggest that that is perfect.
3: That, 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 that's really beautiful, yeah, <laughs> right? that nature itself has that Absolutely. balance of the two, that's really beautiful, that's really, really beautiful. I want to, I'm curious to know, I mean, it, from, from thinking about religions on a historical scale, it, it may still be early in the Baha'i Days to think about how you know internal structures of codification and then modification can take place. I'm guess is is there a codified book of, of rules that has that has emerged within the Baha'i faith, or is that yet to come? Is there such a thing? Yes.
1: There is a book of laws. Uh-huh. It's called the e aqdas the mm-hmm. book of laws revealed by Baha'u'llah himself. Mm-hmm. So it exists, mm-hmm. yes.
3: And, and and those are those are those are, those are, those are strictly kept to What's the relationship with those laws?
1: So this is interesting. Um,
3: Enabling recommendations or
1: no, anything? No, no, not at all. These are the laws that will that govern the mm-hmm. Baha'i faith and Baha'i communities, mm-hmm. as well as Baha'i institutions. Mm-hmm. So the current head of the faith, the Universal House of Justice, uh, along with this kitab i ahdas reveals the laws that are applicable for mm-hmm. Baha'i communities at a particular time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not all of the laws are in application yet. But a lot of them are, yes, absolutely.
3: Is there, is there a census of, of mm-hmm. how many laws there
0: are? Is there a total tally of the laws? Oh. I haven't counted, but the book is a <laughs> brief book. It's a brief book? It's, yes, it's, it's a, it has 190 oh. verses. It's, oh. it's not a lengthy book at all. He's like, not, a, to, <laughs> not to be competitive <laughs> or anything, but in, in Judaism we have 613. <laughs> so. <Yes>. And, and <laughs> I, think, I think the point is, first, Baha'u'llah revealed certain laws, but he left so much to the Universal House of Justice. Mm-hmm. So I think there was the question, that what happens within the religion, yes, the concept yes. of, you know, um, revelation that is progressive. So Baha'i Fett has instituted change also within mm-hmm. the Baha'i dispensation by having the institution of the Universal House of Justice mm-hmm. that is elected um, to, to operate and govern. The, the Baha'i faith. So that institution uh, can uh, try new laws based on the realities of time and place. I'm getting a sense that there's a lot of
3: spiritual maturity in the Baha'i faith. And I'm not saying this just to, to flatter you guys. I think that firstly the principle of knowing that change is, is part and parcel and, and making space for change. The idea of not indoctrinating children until they're 15 is a very mature thing to do. My my critical question, after being complimentary, is: Does that spiritual maturity really take into account the the nature of the human being, or is it or is it too idealistic of the human? Perhaps humans can't have such a free leash and, and, and can't be left to do whatever they want up until they're fifteen, or to have laws that are flexible. Is it is it is it is it too idealistic of a of a of a spiritual vision?
2: Take
0: would you like to st- We have both but you Would I you like to start? Or like I think uh, this is tied um, in the Bahá'í view of history again. The Bahá'í faith believes that humanity is going through a process of collective maturity. Um, and that many things that applied to us in the past no longer apply. And, um, and that is why religions come, because a, a problem um, that we had in the past, many hundred years ago probably, uh, it needs a new remedy, right? The, the problems change, so the remedy must must change, um, and the Bifest believes that we are now at, at the threshold of collective maturity, so in, at individual level, yes, we are at all different levels of maturity, mm. however we define it, but collectively through this process of thousands of years, we are at the threshold of collective maturity. Let's say in the past, maybe thousands of years ago, we were at a, a stage of childhood mm. collectively. Now we are like teenagers mm. and everything that, that comes with it. Mm. I think that example of teenager might, might be quite mm. revealing in, in things that we are experiencing mm. collectively.
3: So where do, you, where do you say we are now?
0: We're teenagers. Yeah, so the hopes and aspirations, and at the same time, you know, the the challenges Mm. that come with Mm. teenagers. This is the the religion for the TikTok generation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think also, like you asked, are we idealistic? And I think we believe in ideals for sure and in principles we elevate things to the level of principle for sure and we try and find application of principles and ideals in our lives um but i wouldn't uh, describe the faith as idealistic in the, like as if it is perhaps naive or um blindly optimistic we're optimistic but because we are quite clear on what we have to do so we're hopeful mm. For example, this idea of um, children or youth having the freedom to choose their religion at the age of 15, the age of maturity. This is grounded in an understanding or in a belief of human nature and in the nature of the child or of a junior youth or of a youth. So our perception, our idea of what a human being is, this idea that you have a rational soul and that through education, you can arrive at a certain level of maturity in which you can reason you can have articles of faith, and you can determine and recognize truth. So there's, a, there's, um, there's work that goes into that, 15-year-old being able to arrive well, and you know this is the work of the parents and their communities. So it's not um, an abandoned youth and, and whatnot. Uh, we do our best to offer them education, mm-hmm. to have them practice and experience life so that they can judge truth from falsehood, so that they can aspire to good, so that they can strive and champion justice. I think the same is true in our hope for humanity. Like we're not blind or oblivious to the sufferings or to the injustices uh, that are present and prevalent in the world. And so if you look at the human being, the way Baha'u'llah describes us, right? As these uh, eternal souls, physical and material, with the ability, with the capacity to tend toward perfection and to tend toward good, with the capacity to know right from wrong, um, diversity inherent in us, well then, like you, the questions abound. You look around and you say, well, women are treated in a particular way in the world that does not reflect this nobility of this human being that we're describing. People of color are not regarded or um, embraced in a way that would reflect this nobility, people who are not materially wealthy are regarded in a particular way. So what happens with this view is that what happens with this view of humanity is that a lot of the readings of reality become quite clear. And then this, I don't want to call it a quest, but this, Feeling, you know, is strong within you for justice and for unity, because you recognize the nobility in others, and because you recognize it, you're hopeful. You are committed to say, well, you know what, if we can get through some of this, it's going to take time, it's going to take hard work, it will not be easy. We will fail sometimes, we'll try something and it won't work, and we'll try something else. Um, Because of that, we're hopeful. And because of that, we're optimistic. Mm. Does that make sense? Like Absolutely. it's not a... Absolutely. If
3: you, have, if you have those ideals which you really yeah. aim to, and then you can compare the current status quo, and say, we're not, yeah. we're not there yet, and we can expect so much more. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a very, it's also a very empowering message, that, that to see the human as, as where they could be, instead of where perhaps they are. Yeah, It's very rich. There's two more questions, which I feel we have not yet come to, which is the question of heaven and hell, or the question of religion and science, Let's um let's pose these two questions and then, and then we'll wrap up. Um, so we may have to keep these more uh, rapid fire.
4: <laughs> doesn't it doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's objective. It's like this, this
3: is
2: the like first definition. Rapid fire. We have to begin from the beginning of existence. What is fire?
3: What
2: is the sun? What is time? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs>
1: okay. I tried that with my dad. Sorry, just have a total sidebar.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Try I out
1: again? Yeah, I was doing like my undergraduate dissertation and I was uh, and he's like, come on, come on, come on, how are you? He was like pushing me, and I said, you know what? In the timeless realm, I'm already a graduate He's like, well, there's a realm with time that <laughs> you need to get on.
2: <laughs> Okay, sorry. Let's,
3: these, these two questions work well in tandem, so let's get them both out and then we'll, we'll all jump in. The question, the Baha'i Faith has a very unique position on the relationship between religion and science, which, which reflects something of the maturity of the progression of the religion, which I think many other religions perhaps don't, at least in the their more fundamental manifestations, don't have such a view on religion and science, and perhaps the hobby the that could be between them. And the second question is the question of heaven and hell. And I think these questions are related because a lot of the, the contemporary scientific worldview is one which uh, does away with the concepts of heaven and hell. You know, we live yolo, we live here a material life, live it up, and then we hit the grave. And that's it. So, what is, let's perhaps begin with heaven and hell. What is the behind notions notion of heaven and hell? And how do we reconcile that with the relationship that I has with religion and science. You can tackle those together in seven minutes. <laughs> okay. I'll do heaven and hell and yes. in five. Yes.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, fifteen minutes is not enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll Look, I think there are a few concepts that are related to to be able to explain heaven and hell. One is the the notion of. Uh, Abdu'l-Baha talks about sensible realities versus intelligible realities. Another one is our uh, position in time as uh, one that is collectively that is at the threshold of collective maturity. And another one is the concept of reward and punishment. And I'll try to very quickly address maybe all of those because I think that kind of frames the question. Abdullah explains that we have sensible realities and we have intelligible or conceptual and spiritual realities. Sensible realities are, you know, realities, things that we learn through senses, obviously, our five senses. Like, it's hot now. It's, you know, a simple uh, sensible reality. But we have also intelligible realities or conceptual realities or, or spiritual realities. These are realities or concepts, perhaps, that, that don't have an outer form or place. When we talk about knowledge, when we talk about love, right? Uh, it, you can't feel it with your five senses, and, and that is, I think, an intelligible reality. Now, quite often we have to explain an intelligible reality through statements that draw on sensible realities, so we cast them in the mold of sensible realities. For example, when we say my heart is uplifted, it does not mean that my heart is literally removed and it goes up. Or when I say um, that you kept me in the dark, you know, I'm trying to talk about an intelligible reality, but I cast it in the mold of sensible realities. And Baha'i Faith explains that heaven and hell are examples of intelligible realities, but because of where we are in the process of maturity of humankind collectively, they had to be explained in sensible realities. You know, for example, association of hell with fire. For example, another point is that because of where we were, Can we call these metaphors. Is that a fair? Be, yes, true. Because of where we were collectively, I think in the process of our maturity, I think the conversation that God had with us, needed to be in the form of a conversation that we have with a child. You know, my daughter, when she was, for example, one year old, she used to like playing so much with electric wires, with with charger cables, (laughs) right? Live wire, And she would put it in her mouth. I could not obviously talk to her about the concept of conductor and non-conductor. I could not talk to her about cause and effect. I could tell her about the concept of burning, right? That if you do this, you will burn, that it's hot. And that was perhaps something that she would understand. And I think because of where we were collectively in the process of our maturity, this concept needed to be communicated in very simple terms, association of heaven, for example, with milk and honey, or association of hell with fire. Because collectively in in our process of Collective thinking and reflection and practice, that's what we would have understood. But also another related concept, I think, is the concept of reward and punishment. Um, we experience reward and punishment in this world, so existential, if you may, rewards and, and punishment. We might focus on purity of our heart and our soul, and we draw closer to God. And that is an existential reward that we experience in this world. But there's also ultimate rewards and punishment. After we pass on um, from this world, there are also rewards and punishment that we could experience in whatever shape or form, in in an ultimate form or or spiritual realm. And that is, we might um, avail ourselves of special bounties and favors of God, and that is our heaven. So essentially, Baha'is believe that heaven and hell are um, intelligible realities. They are not physical realms or physical places in which you experience milk and honey or or fire, but that um, it's described in relation to our being able to receive the bounties and favors of God, or we draw, or we shield ourselves from it, or you know we draw. Uh, further mm-hmm. from, from God's special favours, and that could happen in this world or in the world hereafter. I like
3: that's an important part at the end, but that it also takes place in this world, that we can experience, you're saying we can experience those realities of... Plus, how yeah, ...this yeah. world or next. I next. Think, I think that's important to, That's I think that's important part. Sheree, anything to add before moving to your side of the question? No. Then give us the, your side, <laughs> science and religion.
1: Well, <laughs> I mean, what Varma described I think is a very good example of the harmony between science and religion. Mm -hmm. You know, he used um, what we can really describe as scientific terms, terms that are associated with this material world, to describe something that is of the spiritual world. And so for Baha'is, we believe that science and religion are like two branches of knowledge. These are two complementary ways that we can understand and connect with truth, and that you know, we are quite interested in history, right? You notice. Mm-hmm. So as we look throughout history and you go back and you you examine human communities, the times at which the religion was fertile, yes, and was in its, its heyday, there was real harmony between science and religion. Mm-hmm. And you saw the flourishing of arts and architecture and uh, education and mathematics and sciences. It was flourished uh, through the inspiration through the motivation of religion so how do we understand science and religion for example like how they really do relate to one another we have um, well let me step back a bit so for example science we describe it as rational thought the ability to experiment and to systematize um, the ability to logically make conclusions derived at something Religion we describe as intuitive or inspirational. Um, We describe faith. We describe inspiration. We believe that these elements are present and should be in both fields, science and religion. When a scientist is conducting research, they are using articles of faith and intuition and inspiration as they're conducting and trying to really get down to the truth of their question in religion perhaps not as much but in religion we must strive to be systematic we must strive to find ways how is it that we can educate generation after generation and perhaps in community and after community morality moral teachings we must learn systematization we have to uh, for use of a, for lots of a better word, we have to experiment we take what we understand and we try it out We come back and we think about it, well, how did that work? Okay, let's try it again. This is scientific, this is a scientific method. So we believe that at its best, when these two branches of knowledge are working together, also to temper one another, right? Unfettered um, religion can lead us to superstition, can lead us to prejudice. Um, Unfettered science can lead us down a path of materialism. Or a path of what we're seeing now, maybe a detachment from the well-being of others. Yes. And so when they harmonize, when they come together and are allowed to really work with one another, like really engage, that is when we see the, the fruits of humanity. Mm. And we feel that going forward, this will be the way more and more.
3: That was really fantastic. That was, that was really more than I expected to get oh. because I thought at, at the very best we'd have some sort of rapprochement, some sort of peace treaty, <laughs> ceasefire between <laughs> the of But What you're saying is that really the spirit of each other has to really inform and involve and, and really develop and, and push them together towards our common goal. It was really fantastic. It's really great. Are there any final thoughts, reflections, questions? compliments, criticisms
0: <laughs> uh, that you guys like to share. Oh just it's wonderful what, what you do and and I think try to uh, bridge different thoughts and, and the channel that, that you have is just uh, such a such a wonderful initiative. Thank you. But, yeah, keep it going and thank you. And best of luck.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much. We we hope to be doing really what's what's in spirit with the Baha'i faith. Moving towards unity, and moving towards a shared humanity, and the, the principles that you point out of looking at the mm-hmm. of the, the highest expectation of what a human can be, and, and judging our own behavior and, and the, the placement of others, both spiritually and both materially, yeah. against that against that um, paradigm, I think, I think is so important. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's really I think it's really I think it's very appropriate. So now that we have one kind word, we're gonna have to have a. <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, no. I don't have anything. I, I'm really grateful to have been a part of the conversation. I think it, it was enlightening. And I had told Sama, it, it pushed me, right, in preparing. Really, you have to really think once again, right? Some things that we, we had thought about a while ago, you take for granted. So it was. I'm thankful to you all for letting me get there. And I hope that it was meaningful and helpful, Absolutely. our participation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you so
3: much for putting in the effort and the time, both of you, to, to prepare and to think about these things and to to really present it in such a such a beautiful way. And I think that anytime uh, there's a genuine meeting of people in, in good faith to talk about the things that are deepest yeah. to them and closest to them. And as you said in a systematic, and a critical and a rational way, is is really the way that we move the the agenda of peace and unity forward together. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank, so thank you, you so much for helping coordinate, and thank you, for driving me here, and for feeding me, and for making sure that I sleep and, and for everything that Alyssa does, or else I would be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic.
4: Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you know,
2: so any final words. No, no, I'm just so happy that the overall college has been
4: concluded. Like I have more questions now <laughs> after listening to your questions. <laughs> I have my own list.
2: round to have a
4: <laughs>
2: So I think that's wonderful because when people from outside they come and they have a different perspective and they ask questions. That makes us also revisit our Same. text Same. and try to understand it. In a different way and explore it from different angles. So it also helps to deepen our understanding. Good. Yes. Good. So the process is very productive and attractive for us as well. Mm-hmm. Very rewarding for very, us. Really glad. I'm so glad. I find the same. I
3: find that as that when conversation is kept inside, there's a lack of opportunity for fresh paradise yes. fresh question. And sometimes the question may be totally off the mark, yeah. maybe silly, but sometimes it like opens up a new and I hope I wasn't I I hope was I was flippant or, or, or uh, sacrilegious at any point. I'm a very religious person. I want take these things yes. seriously, but I think there's a space for humor, so... If I offended the gods, <laughs> I don't think that, that well. would strike me down. My god's
4: humor is so... Exactly! God's love yeah, awesome. laughter! Is... what's it? Humor is Tell me... You, you mean... what should add,
2: I do a fishmarchologist of perfection. So I know that one of the names of God is Alvazor.
0: Which is the humorous. Really?
4: Yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
0: That's
3: right. <laughs> Wait, give us the etymology there. I'm so curious, what's what is the meaning of this word?
0: How's it understood? Humor is a good thing, right? Yeah, a, that's yeah. So <laughs> and if God is perfection and possesses all Names and attributes. and then God must have a good sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> wow, now we have a good sense of humor. I mean, Abdel
3: Baha
1: described laughter as spiritual relaxation. Mm. That's very really yeah, fascinating. You
3: kind of, has anyone read uh, Umberto Eco, The Name of the Rose? No. Umberto Eco wrote a book, a fantastical a book, of course, The Name of the Rose, about a monk that... Uh, it's, it's like a murder mystery. Basically, it describes like scholars that in an uh, ancient Greek manuscript, Aristotle speaks uh, positively about humor and laughter. And and this text was like hidden by the church because they had to be serious. And and the guy who, who reveals this text gets he gets killed gets to keep it a secret. But the fact that this that that, that laughter yeah. is a spiritual. What did you say? Laughter spiritual is it? relaxation. Is a spiritual relaxation and humor is the name of God.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, like, that's a, it's but the concept of humor has changed over time. Mm-hmm. Now sometimes we we use it as like joking or you know being superficial. Whereas actually the highest form of humor is. You know that wonderment and awe at a question that is makes it truly humorous, right? Um. In, 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 in there
1: is real humor, yeah. yeah.
0: When you solve a problem or make the connection, um, I think in a puzzling um, way. It's very interesting, it's not, any, you,
3: it's not just about uh, about being witty or about being insulting or about all the ways that you can use, but there is a space, even today, where, where the, where the 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 comedian is really a philosopher in some sense, and they're really exploring deep social issues, societal issues, spiritual issues through through the through the, through the, through the uh, tools of humor. That's a, that's a fascinating idea. That was a lot of fun. On top of on top of everything else, it was it was so much fun to sit down and to chat with you, wonderful, beautiful people. It was really really great. Really I spent so much time in Israel. Breaking my teeth is right, it's a tap with a fellow American a fellow Sharae. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great, it's great right. pleasure. Listen, it's one world. And <laughs> <laughs> Salma, I just want to thank you for... Should, by now I should go to the Sharae.
0: I want <would laughs> to thank you for your Sharae
3: I have a voice with names, guys. Do not take <laughs> this part, Sharae. I think because I, it's... it's it's very easy to speak in principle about things, but actually having a woman's voice here yeah. and having a colorblind voice to come and represent and be part of the conversation yeah. is, is, is it's, it's performative. right? We're, yeah. we're, we're expressing what, we, what we're aspiring to. So thank you, thank you. For, for bringing such a beautiful person to, to join us. Thank you. We need to, on, on the channel, one of the criticisms is that I don't have enough male, I don't have enough female scholars. And it's very hard. It's very hot yeah. to find female so Thank you for adding your voice yeah. to my project.
1: Well, thanks for calling me a skull. <laughs> but I'm happy to do this. Yeah, I agree. Inspiring I agree. I agree. We must seek women out. Yeah. Yes. At this point in time, we have to seek them out. yeah.
4: Thank you. Absolutely. It- <laughs> yes, you can see. Okay. That's your question. Right. That's my question. No, you can't ask a question. <laughs> <laughs>